Before the episode begins, I'd like to tell you about the Science for Care podcast. Science for Care is an audio series produced by HealthTech for Care, an endowment fund committed to support and promote access to care for all patients. Each episode takes a concise look at some of the major advances in medicine, mRNA vaccines, antibiotics, gene therapy, the metaverse, and many more. The production is meticulous, the narration captivating, and the guests are true leaders in their respective fields. If you listen to Impulse, then you'll be for sure interested, so don't wait any longer and go listen to the first two seasons of Science for Care. The ability to go to a restaurant, take a bite of something, recognize there's peanuts in it or whatever it is you want, be able to stop and not develop anaphylaxis. I mean, if you if you did that, that was a win. I think a lot of the people who have food allergies recognize that they have to avoid certain foods, but it's it's the fear that no matter what you try, can you trust the restaurant? Have they washed their hands, right? Because we're talking about microscopic amounts of this thing that that make it very, very, very severe reaction for someone. So the ability to just be able to taste it and go, oh, there's peanuts in here and stop and not go into anaphylaxis is a huge victory, right, for that patient. Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where we dive into the most exciting breakthroughs in healthcare of our time. In each episode, I sit down with some of the most brilliant minds that are using technology to rethink the way we care. Inspiring and passionate to tell you all about their innovation and how it will impact the lives of millions. My name is Matthew Chafford. I'm a biomedical engineer and medical technology enthusiast. And in this podcast, we take the pulse of this incredible field. Welcome to Impulse. So welcome, Kenneth, to this new episode of Impulse. Thanks a lot for joining and for accepting my invitation. Um, this is the very first recording of 2024, and we will talk about allergies and a new approach to detect them, but also to treat them. I feel concerned by the topic as I myself have allergies to pollen and cats, and it's actually a recurring pain You know, whenever spring comes up or whenever I get to meet friends having pets, and I actually never thought about looking into potential routes um, to get rid of those allergies or at least to reduce their symptoms. And I know, of course, many other folks in my family or in close relatives who are dealing with allergies. So hopefully this episode will be enlightening and uh, helpful to them. We actually briefly touched on the the topic in episode 15 with someone called Nicolas Durand. So he's a Swiss entrepreneur um, whom you might know. He's spreading the the field of high-precision diagnostics with a very compact platform, able to perform like all kinds of diagnostic tests, including allergy profiling. But we didn't dive at all into, you know, the details of where allergies come from, what are the methods to diagnose them, nor how we can treat them with modern approaches. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation and learning about your work in that regard with Nectar Life Sciences. Um, but yeah, before we jump right in, would you like to present yourself? Uh, yeah, so uh, Ken Shaheen, actually from an educational standpoint, uh, PhD in genetics and, and, uh, and biochemistry, uh, did a lot of work uh, in that area, actually uh, ended up working at Pfizer. Uh, for a few years, and then I decided to um, to go to law school, and so I became uh, a patent attorney, and I was one of the early patent attorneys that actually uh, had a PhD, and particularly in genetics, it was particularly important just because that field was really evolving with respect to recombinant proteins and things like that. So it was actually a very uh, exciting uh, time to to both be in genetics and also be in in, in sort of the cutting edge of the of the legal aspect of that. Um, I then worked at a company that was doing gene therapy. Um, so we actually started that first clinical trial. It's now been approved in Europe for hemophilia. 
Uh, and we have a second one for Parkinson's disease. Both of them have been approved in Europe and actually very close to being approved uh, in the United States. Did that for about 10 years and then um, ended up at uh, Ancestry.com. Uh, and I was the founder of, uh, of Ancestry DNA. So again, used my you know, genetic background and a lot of my legal work to, uh, to basically launch uh, the Ancestry DNA product that now has been launched and very successfully in the US and Canada, Europe. Um, and uh, in Australia, so um, so anyway, did that for another ten years, and then I, I decided to uh, to join Nectar and tackle allergies. Perfect. And um, I mean, let's maybe dive into you know the gave us some maybe more like context around allergies. So the um, what's the magnitude actually of you know allergies as a global health issue? I saw that it was you know you know superior to you know chronic conditions like hypertension and so on. But maybe you can give us some some context there. Yeah, I mean, globally, this is a a massive issue. Just to give you uh, the United States numbers, where which we we know obviously the best, um, it, we it is the number one chronic condition, and and I think the reason people don't recognize it as being as big as it is is that um, a lot of different things are all allergies from a clinical standpoint, but most people think of them of slightly differently. So, for example, environmental allergies at least 50, 55 million people in the United States suffer from environmental allergies. But then you've got another 35 to 40 that suffer from food allergies. Um, asthma, people don't realize, you know, there's probably another 30 or 40 million people with asthma. They don't realize that most of that asthma is triggered by some environmental allergy, right? And so asthma, if you can treat the underlying environmental trigger, you can massively improve the outcomes for asthma. And then obviously all the skin conditions, you know, think of like eczema and things like that. Many of those, even physicians will refer to a dermatologist, but it, it, it frequently mis, uh, misreferred, right? Because it really is an allergy. So when you put them all together and you recognize that clinically, this is uh, a very similar immunological response, then right, that becomes really the number one chronic condition. Yeah, no, I see. And actually you touched on the the, the origin of those. So there there's a I understand like your hereditary component. There's also like a component linked to the you know our environments and external factors. Um, do you have also like some knowledge about how they? I mean, how this comes into the, into the picture? Yeah. So it, like a lot of genetic things, we we know it's genetic. Uh, we don't understand how, and we don't know how to predict it. So what we do know is that uh, two important things. One, it is genetic. So if your parent had allergies, your likelihood of having allergies uh, is much higher. Now, um, again, because it's an immunological response, you likely you inherited a very set of complex genes that led you to get it, but we don't understand it. We don't know how to predict it. The second thing we know, which is something that most people don't realize, is there's something that, that physicians call an allergic march. And the allergic march is that uh, people who are allergic, since it's really coming from an underlying immunological problem, you will start sometimes with eczema as little kids. You see that a lot. Uh, then they have potentially food allergies. Then they move to environmental allergies. Then they move to asthma. So what we find is in the same sort of patient or family, you have this march where you start with one and then develop uh, other allergies along the way. And those are tightly linked. And I think people don't recognize how tightly linked they are. But again, it makes complete sense that this is an underlying immunological issue that's 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 happening. And so it just manifests itself in different ways. 
And in terms of like the ways to, you know, what tradi what traditionally, like what are approaches to actually treat them or to detect them? Because like, you know, for example, myself, I know that I have like allergies, like for the two things I mentioned in the, in the intro, but I kind of like never really thought about, you know, treating it or because I assumed it was like something I would just have like my whole life and this is like set up. So yeah, would be interested to learn about, you know, the, what are the methods usually tried or traditionally used to diagnose them and to treat them. And then, you know, we could also talk about your approach with, uh, with Nictal Life Sciences. Yeah. So look, it, it's actually at a high level, it's obviously super complicated, but at a high level, it's not very complicated. Basically what it is, is that your immune system is overreacting to something in the environment that it shouldn't be overreacting to. So that's as simple as that. So we all know, um, unfortunately, with COVID and everything else, when you take a vaccine, what you're doing is you're developing antibodies to train your body that when it sees that, it can sort of attack and fight it uh, early. So imagine if, for whatever reason, you've developed antibodies to something like peanuts, well, your body is going to react to the peanut in the same way that we've trained our bodies to react to like COVID. So it attacks it and it basically thinks it's a foreign body that's going to harm it. And so it, it reacts in the way that it does. And obviously with food in particular, right, anaphylaxis and all these things can sort of happen. So at a basic level, we, we understand it. The other thing that we know, and it's actually an incredibly rare thing in medicine, uh, is we know how to potentially cure it, right? And so Really, it just comes down to starting with a very low dose of the thing that you're allergic to, and you increase a dose, and eventually you basically train your immune system to to become desensitized, and the antibodies that are there that are there to again attack a peanut protein eventually subside, and you can literally get train your immune system not to react to this thing because over time, by a constant and persistent and and increasing doses, literally you get those antibodies to sort of get them back down to baseline and then you're fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in terms of like detecting where it's coming from, I heard like, you know, people telling me like, well, usually you do like a sort of like skin test where people expose your skin to different, you know, type of allergens. Right. Um, is there like any other, is this, is this like the standard to do it? Yeah. So there's really two, two basic ways of doing this and and they're both equally well we spend a lot of time trying to compare one or the other i think if you go to an allergist um because in particular how fast it is um yes exposing the skin to a very small amount of the thing that you're allergic to uh is one way to do it so you're basically you know creating an allergic reaction in in your arm um when you create a reaction it gets sort of red it can get a little swollen etc uh, and so then you you know that you're allergic to X, Y, Z. The other way to do it, which I just sort of explained that an allergy is you have antibodies against something, is you can just actually directly measure whether you have an antibody, which is the way we, we do it at Nectar both ways. We both have a virtual care where you can come online. Uh, a physician will, will prescribe uh, a diagnostic test after you've basically answered a bunch of questions. Uh, we send you uh, what we call a kit at home, you you prick your finger, you provide a few drops of blood, it goes to a laboratory, the laboratory will test you for 40 different common allergens, including cats and dogs and different weeds and trees, etc. And it says, yes, we detected this antibody for X, Y, and Z. So they both do the same thing. One is directly detecting the antibody, the other one's looking at a reaction that occurs when that antigen is, is presented. 
and this idea of like kind of like decentralizing the way that this testing is done so this is one of like the foundations for um nictal life sciences from what i understand it, it is it, it it is one of the things it's 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 necessary in the sense that you know our our treatment let, let's just go back to the treatment now for a minute and then i'll, I'll loop back to the to the diagnostic so the the treatment traditionally uh, in the United States has been to do injections. And that's basically what was essentially done a hundred years ago. Someone said, what if we start injecting small amounts of the thing you're you're allergic to? And so it's subcutaneous injections. It has to be done very frequently. Um, and it's incredibly painful in many cases. It's inconvenient in many cases. Um, and so in Europe now, um, one of the companies has been offering tablets so that if you're allergic to, to dog or cat, you can take a tablet underneath your tongue and that that will actually do the exact same thing that taking allergy shots uh, do. Uh, in fact, it's actually safer. Um, in the United States, because as I'm sure you guys talk about frequently, our healthcare system is set up completely differently than, than in Europe. So sometimes it creates some incentives that are misaligned with the consumer. And this is a, a classic case of where the treatment is misaligned with the patient because of insurance. So in the United States, if you take an allergy shot, you get reimbursed. It gets reimbursed and the physician makes money for both mixing the, the drug in the office and then for administering uh, the shot. And so we've been resistant to trying anything different. And in fact, the same drug that's used in Europe uh, as a tablet has been unsuccessful in the United States. Because when a physician orders that tablet, they don't make, they can't make money on, right? So the incentives are just misaligned. So what we've done is we've done it in a, in a direct-to-consumer or virtual way. What we say is if you want to have the convenience of the drops, you can pay cash pay. It's $100 a month, right? There's no, it's, we try to make it as, as, as cheap as possible. And then the process of that the first thing we need to do is understand what it is that you're allergic to. So you take this test as a first step. We confirm both through the diagnostic and through a series of clinical questions that you answer in a physician that looks at it. We say, yes, you qualify. Okay. And then once you qualify, we say, okay, you know, in your case, I think you said it was, you know, animals. So let's say you say it was cat. We'd say, oh, you're allergic to cat and, and ragweed. And so we have a compound pharmacy that we've built that's licensed in, in 47 states and so that pharmacist then gets that prescription and says, you got it. Um, you know, Matthew needs cat and ragweed that gets put in a bottle. And then you take two drops underneath your tongue every day. And over time, um, you get resolved in the same way that you would get injections, right? So what we're really doing is disrupting the way this is done in the United States in a way that's way more convenient and way more affordable for the consumer than the traditional way of, of doing it. And, and I'll, I'll say one more thing. We do have virtual care, but we also have opened a full allergy clinic in New York City. So we're right there by Union Square. And in that case, because we're a full allergy clinic, we give the patients the option. If the patient, for whatever reason, wishes to do shots, maybe their insurance is very good and they prefer that's more convenient for them, we will do the shots. So we're not, you know, we're not opposed to it. We give the patient the option of what they want to do. Two-thirds of them select the drops because they're like, why am I going to keep coming back home? I can do this at home. Um, it's a it's a beautiful, um, we can send you maybe some images of this, but 
you know, it's just a it's it's just a, a beautiful bottle uh, that you can put on your vanity, and literally every morning you just put two drops, like after you brush your teeth or whatever, and and that's it. And so people really love it. And it's been taking off. And I'm curious to hear about like because um, I know friends like in Harvard in Switzerland who went through like this desensitization process, and for some it worked, for some it didn't. Uh, but I think it was like you know injections. So is there like you know in terms of like evidence available and so on um, in terms of efficacy of the treatment? Like, and I assume that you know people differ. Like some might be desensitized after a few months. Some it might take longer. Um, yeah, what are some of the these trends that you've observed? Definitely, without question, both have been proven. Just for drops alone, there's been over a hundred placebo-controlled trials that have been run. So there, there's really no doubt that this uh, that this works. Uh, now, like any medical treatment, you know, is a hundred percent of the people going to respond a hundred percent of the time? No, um, but we're seeing today. You know, we've treated thousands and thousands of patients. We send them a quarterly survey. And 90% are saying that after three months, they're either off the medication they were taking or or have your symptoms are much better. So it, we're seeing that 90% of the people respond. So it won't be 100, but we're seeing really, really good responses. And, and look, the shots are incredibly inconvenient, but they work, right? There's no question. We've talked to tons of people that said, yeah, I took shots when I was a kid. I did them for three years and I'm like, how do you feel now? They're like, yeah, I don't know. I'm great, right? So it totally works. It's just... They all talk about how painful it was, both literally, uh, literally painful and just painful in terms of the the effort, right, to go and and sit in a room and and do it. But um, it, it it works really well. And, and for food allergies, there's been a lot of work uh, recently that's been done showing that the drops are also very very effective for food. And in that case, most of what's been tested is some people get cured, um, so they they really are literally completely cured. The goal for food is more around the ability to go to a restaurant, take a bite of something, recognize there's peanuts in it or whatever it is you want, be able to stop and not develop anaphylaxis. I mean, if you if you did that, that was a win. I think a lot of the people who have food allergies recognize that they have to avoid certain foods, but it's it's the fear that no matter what you try, can you trust the restaurant? Have they washed their hands, right? Because we're talking about microscopic amounts of this thing that that make it very, very, very severe reaction for someone. So the ability to just be able to taste it and go, oh, there's peanuts in here and stop and not go into anaphylaxis is a huge victory, right, for that patient. And especially for parents, right? I mean, think about if you had a a child that had a peanut allergy, there are parents sometimes that cry because they haven't been out to eat because they can't, right? Like you can't even go somewhere on vacation and you know, trust that a restaurant hasn't done something. You're like simple things that we take for granted, you don't realize. So this ability of having this safety net that says, okay, at a, at a, at a minimum, if it is and someone makes a mistake, my child's not going to die or go into anaphylaxis is a huge one. Yeah. And just to precise, so this anaphylactic shock, I think that you're referring to is kind of like the extreme reaction that you get when you have an allergy reaction where basically you have, you know, your whole body is reacting against the, the allergen and trying to, you know, combat it. And then you engage, you know, potentially ends up, you know, damaging your, your, your organs and so on. So I think you need to have adrenaline, right, to to compensate for that. Yeah, adrenaline, epinephrine is a pen that you inject yourself to try to, yeah, but basically, yes, you get hives, you get a million things, those are uncomfortable, but when your throat swells and literally shuts down and you can't breathe, that's typically your, your biggest uh, reaction. But yeah, heart races and a million things happen. So um, every 
essentially every parent who knows they have a child with a peanut allergy um, actually carry uh, carry a pen with them. Yeah, I see. So you described, you know, the the how it was how you were approaching it, how you were detecting it. What was the actually the therapeutic modality? Um, I would be curious to hear about, you know, who can benefit from it. Like, is it any? I mean, you are operating in the United States. Like, any American citizen can can get access to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we sell uh, throughout the United States. Um, we have physicians that are um, licensed in every state, and so both for the diagnostic and the prescription. Um, once the information is reviewed, um, it it can be done, you know, very accurately, very safely, and and over the right supervision. Um, we also have physicians on staff. If people have questions, which they do, they can send questions uh, to us. If we need to get on a video with them, we do. But we really try to make it you know, pretty convenient. And, and look, in the United States, an important thing is that there there really isn't enough allergists to treat the number of people that have allergies. And so many people in the United States simply just don't even have access to an allergist, right? If you live in, in parts of the United States that isn't densely populated, you may not have access to an, allerg access to an allergist. And so um, this allows you to, uh, this allows you to do this. But we, look, we, you know, we've done this in a very, uh, credible way. Um, something that's really important that you know for your listeners to to know is that you can you can sometimes go to different places, including like Amazon, and and people have these homeopathic non therapeutic doses uh, that they offer as almost a supplement. You know, other people talk about like, can you eat honey? Like none of that stuff works, right? The doses that we're providing at Nectar are the therapeutic dose that was approved both in the United States or not approved but tested. And shown to be effective both in the United States and Europe, right? So we're using the highest, you know, dose that's been approved. It's the same one that's being used in Europe. And so um, we we think the science is important. You you can cut corners early on, but eventually, if you really want to become a credible company, you need to do that. And in fact, we started to publish and have two articles in in February in the largest uh, allergy conference already, starting to publish some of the data, some of the results, and and really sharing what we're doing. So I think it's important and I worry about anything in healthcare in the United States in particular, where there's just a lot of, if the people think they can make money, right, they cut corners and we're always fighting with that in the United States, these other players and aren't credible, uh, that, that make it difficult for the consumers to understand what's real and what's not, but we're, we're, we really have taken the high road here and, and doing this right. Yeah. No, that sounds sounds great. And I was wondering a bit about like the structure of the company. You know how how you guys organize. You mentioned that there's like actually an in-person clinic in in New York where you guys are based. You're working with you know actually a, a pharmacist that is creating the the, the personalized um, treatment for each patient that you are managing. Um, yeah, how how is this whole kind of like ecosystem organized? Could you explain us? Yeah, it's it's complicated. I think you know taking a step back when I joined, you know. One of the things I've realized I've I've uh, I'm attracted to uh, sometimes I regret it, but uh, is is I get into I like to get into areas where I'm not just selling another product right or I'm not selling a product that's a little better that to be honest with you intellectually isn't very stimulating for me right so whether it's the treatment of hemophilia like we took a complete approach to say we don't want to make it better we don't want daily injections can we inject you once with gene therapy and cure you? And the answer was, yes, we could. When we did you know, DNA, that whole ecosystem was really bad. There were a lot of early players in there. Uh, women could not take the test, which no one remembers that anymore. Uh, there's a bunch of things that could be done. And we went in there and changed the science 
from the beginning and reinvented the way that that got done. And all of a sudden the market really exploded. And for, for allergies, that's the, that's the same approach that, that we've taken. We realized that the testing was very, not very good. The pharmacies were not also not very good. So what we, we didn't a priori decide that we needed to do this stuff. What we do is we go in the market and we say, listen, this is the consumer experience we want to deliver. Okay. What's available? What's not available? What do we have to reinvent? What do we have to break? Like, we don't care, right? We go in there saying dogmatic about this is the way the experience should be. Okay. Okay. Now, what do we have to build to make sure we can ensure it? And 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 the diagnostic testing was awful. Uh, we actually went through three different technologies. We had to do a ton of validation. We're working with a company, Euroimmune, out of Europe, which has been fantastic partners. And together, we've really gotten that test right. So that was something that I would have never in a million years thought we had to tackle because I just assumed it was all done right. And it turned out to be not even close to right. And then the pharmacy, you know, we realized the same thing that a lot of the pharmacies were cutting corners they weren't giving the highest doses, et cetera. The protocol that they were using was 30 years old. So we decided that we needed to build our own pharmacy. So, you know, at least in the United States, I'm not familiar how this is in Europe, much of the, not much, all of the mixing of the things that are injected into into people are done in the office. And it's not done in a sterile environment. It's not done by a pharmacist, et cetera. So even in our clinic in New York City, when you go to our clinic in New York City, that is being done by a, an actual USP in the United States. It's USP licensed pharmacy that's sterile. Does you know Everything is done right. So that's a, not just another good example of just saying this should be done in a better uh, and a better way. So it was all very... You know, very complex. The telemedicine was something that in the United States, because of COVID, it exploded, meaning there was a lot of access that it became more accessible. But in COVID, it was, you know, sort of everything was done quickly. Um, and there are not a lot of people who have expertise in allergies. And so that's something we've also decided, right? If, if you call us because you have a question, I would like it to be not just any physician that doesn't know about allergies, but I would love for someone to say, you know, I'm an allergist. What is your concern? And so we're building a whole telemedicine. So, you know, long story short is we've had to build a lot of pieces here, but it all is in service of creating the experience that we think a consumer deserves to get the best treatment that they can. And so that's that's what we've done. Super. And, um, you know, kind of like now, you, you know, that the, it seems like the service is running, you're serving like, you know, all across all the states. Um, what what are like kind of like the next steps? So where do you think you do you, do you plan to like stake to like the um, allergy care? Do you plan to go to other areas um, in the in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you know I think right now allergy care is something we're really we think it's a big market. We really want to focus on it. The things that we're trying to focus on is um, are there um, you know other personalized drugs that we can provide people. So one of the things we'll be launching this spring is there is definitely, as I mentioned earlier, there are clinical questions that we ask. We do a diagnostic test to see if you're allergic. There are some people that have allergy symptoms, but it's not because it's an allergy, right? And so and so there is a, a small percent, call it 20% of the people that we see that, that are doing that. That doesn't mean their symptoms aren't real. That doesn't mean they don't need help. It just means that immunotherapy is not the right thing for them. So we will not put someone on immunotherapy if that's not the right treatment for them. The doctors won't allow that. So one of the things we've decided is, and again, people just try all sorts of things. We have a survey of over 100,000 people. On average, people take three medications to try to manage their allergies. And so 
and they don't take them in optimum doses. So what we've done now is that if you come into the site and you say, listen, runny nose is a big issue for me. No, sneezing. I don't sneeze very much, but whatever. Then what we do is we take prescription drugs that are available that each basically treat the symptom and then create one nasal spray that has the right amount of what you want. So imagine taking half of a Zyrtec and a quarter of a Claritin and half a pump of Flonase, right? So basically we do it so that you're not over uh, treating yourself for something that you don't have a lot of symptoms in or under treating yourself for something you have symptoms on. So that that's an example of something that we're launching uh, in the next uh, two months or so for uh, for patients. Super. Yeah. Sounds like a good compliment to what you've already established. Super. Um, I'm curious a bit about, let's say again, like on the, on the population of the patients you serve, like, is this like something that resonates better with a young active population? Is this something that's more, you know, who are actually, you know, kind of like doing this for on the, in the long term, not, not having the problems related to allergies, or is this rather more, you know, speaking to people as of midlife, um, you know, who've been struggling with allergies for quite some time and they want to stop it? Like, I'd be curious to hear. Yeah, it's it's a combination. It's a combination of, of of a couple things. For example, the young kids. You know, for sure, that's a big issue, and so we we definitely treat kids. Kids have as many allergies, in a percentage wise, potentially a little higher than adults. Um, and so, kids are a, a big part of it. Usually, um, later in life, if you've developed allergies later in life, it's usually not a clinical allergy, but something else. So uh, technically, the term is there's rhinitis, which is an allergy and that requires immunotherapy or can use immunotherapy. And then they call it non-allergic rhinitis. So allergic rhinitis and non-allergic. And non-allergic is more prominent uh, in people that are older. So our population tends to be more in that you know 30 to 40 year old where you can afford it. Um, and you've been dealing with it all your life and had never resolved. So that tends to be sort of our sweet spot and then and then parents with children um, that have kids with allergies because I mean adults don't like taking shots but imagine if you have a two-year-old and you're taking them three times a week to take a shot it's just it's not yeah. it, it's not fair it's not right and and so that that's not a that's not acceptable for any parents yeah no it's great I mean I, I think we we covered quite quite a ground like you know in terms of you explained us you know what the initial problem was was regarding allergies um, you know the, the sort of like global scale issue that it's um, how, you know, Nectar Life Senses works, the way you diagnose and that you kind of like personalize the treatment, the way you produce it, the way you deliver it. Um, and from what I understood, so basically everything is pretty much, except for like the diagnostic test, like, you know, developed in-house, right? So that's that's quite cool. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. We have, we have intellectual property on our protocols and our dosing and things like that that we've done, yeah. Yeah, super. And in terms of uh, competitors, like, do you have any... Is anyone else trying, or besides, you know, the, the things we talked about, like on Amazon and so on, like any real or serious competitors that you have in the, in the U.S. market? You know, right now, I wouldn't say there, there are a few others um, that have shown up. And I think like any market, once you show there's an opportunity, right, others uh, show up. I, but being very honest, there's none There's none that, that are at the scientific, you know, sort of rigor uh, that that we are. And so I think, you know, for us now, we have been talking to other allergists and saying, listen, for you, this is a difficult thing to offer, but we can help you 
offer this in your clinic and and that started to take uh that started to take to get some traction and i think a lot of it has to do with the science and everything we've done so um look the truth is that that if we we're being successful and so i think naturally there are going to be some other competitors uh that are out there over the next couple of years but it's still early in the market and i think really the number one goal should be to raise awareness about allergies, raise awareness about the fact that they can be treated, raise awareness around how easy uh, you can treat it. And I think everyone would benefit from that. So at this point, I'm not overly concerned about competition. I'm more concerned about, you know, just making sure that people understand this is an option because most people, frankly, in the United States have no idea this is an option. Yeah, exactly. Like I did before, I think we started our conversation. Yeah. So <laughs> the awareness piece That's is like, covered. Um, yeah, I saw that, I mean, beyond your engagement at like their life sciences and your commitments as well as a board member or an advisor to other startups, even actually beyond consumer healthcare, um, I saw that you were teaching entrepreneurial law at the University of Utah, where you studied. Um, and do you have any tips, you know, in that regard for our listeners who are actually, you know, also entrepreneurs in healthcare or considering to to take the plunge yeah so i i started teaching entrepreneurial law in part because you know when you when you talk to attorneys they're always telling you what you can't do right and as an entrepreneur that's not what you want to hear right <laughs> uh and, but at the same time you you can't be uh as we like to say a cowboy right and you can't go into this blinding uh blinded and i think you know there are several companies that were very successful, you know, from a revenue standpoint, they got shut down because they were completely not compliant with, uh, with you know, sort of federal law, et cetera. So what I would really teach, you know, in entrepreneurial law is, you know, how as an attorney do you find the right balance, right? Where you do, you basically highlight the risks, um, let, the, let the client know that there is a real risk here. But then rather than just sort of leaving it there and saying you can't do it, the question is, how do you either avoid the risk or how do you mitigate the risk, right? There are a lot of times, and it's certainly in the U.S. where, you know, things are on the uh, right on the line, right? It's not 100% sure that it's like, is this really illegal, not illegal? How do you do it? And so to me, it was really trying to train attorneys to be more friendly to entrepreneurs um, so that the entrepreneurs could actually find the right balance between the risk benefit and, and do it right as opposed to, you know, and even today we have great attorneys, but frequently we're told you can't do that. You're like, okay, okay, I understand. Okay, what's the concern? And just working through like what the concern is and then finding a way to go through. So that was really my, you know, that that was really my thing. So my look, my recommendation to entrepreneurs is don't, you know, don't be a cowboy. Don't just ignore the attorneys, but I think try to find a balance where you're asking a bunch of the right questions until, because the attorney will start, uh, explaining to you maybe a different path right so it shouldn't just be like i want to do this that can't be done and that's the end of the story there's always a way forward that's my philosophy i'm always optimistic and i always feel like there's a way that that you could do things and so that that was a lot of what i taught in entrepreneurial law super no thanks for sharing that um yeah i guess you know you, there's always a couple of questions that i ask um at the end of the episode um, the first one is around you know what resources would you recommend you know our listeners to check out to know more about the field in which you evolve with books publications websites um always like to hear from the guests on that in terms of allergies in particular or just in general um could be allergies could be you know from your experience in healthcare entrepreneurship um you know patent law for <laughs> anything yeah, I, I so look, I've read, you know, I've read a lot 
uh, of different, you know, sort of books and, and things like that. I think, look, at the end of the day, my advice to entrepreneurs is that you have your personality and your way of thinking things, right? And I think it's very hard and, and it's not effective to try to copy what someone else did, right? So um, to me, it's about the way I do this is I read a lot of stuff um, and I find out, find my own sort of path forward. Uh, right now, the, the funding environment in the United States has been a little harder, you know, having gone through some economic times. One of the mistakes I've really seen is that whether it's a board member or another investor is giving you advice and you're trying to take that advice but it takes you away from your mission. It takes you away from who you are. And then you don't sound authentic. And I've seen this with a lot of CEOs where you are trying to listen, but you don't sound yourself. Look, at the end of the day, I think you're the CEO, you're the entrepreneur, you're the founder, you have that vision. And I think you have to stick to that vision um, and find out what that is and be true to yourself. Honestly, that is probably the single best uh, advice. And look, you may succeed, you may fail, like it's going to happen, right? But I think being unauthentic um, it is not right. So don't go out and try to copy anyone else, you know, find out what it is that, that, that you want, but there's a lot of great resources out there that make you think about the problem differently and make you think about your approach differently. And then that, that's what I would say, but I don't, you know, there's no, you know, Hey, this is the book. If you read this, it's, you know, you're going to get the recipe. Cause I just don't, I don't believe in that. Uh, to be honest with you, I think everyone has something to teach you in a different way. Yeah, super. And um, um, I mean, maybe like for if we, if we think about like, you know, um, allergy care, do you have any, you know, publication or something that was quite revealing that you would like to share in that regard or that you actually use to build um, to build Nectar Life Sciences? Yeah, so we um, we have a learning uh, center. There's a lot of videos there from board certified allergists, etc. So like, honestly, we, we really tried very hard to to aggregate a lot of our best uh, learnings um, on our website. So that's definitely a, a, a resource and it's mynectar.com. Uh, and then it, there's a button on the top that says learn. And, and again, it's a learning center. There's tons of articles there. Everything, much of what I said here is on there and then and then a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, the other thing we did, the other extreme is just doing a lot of literature uh, uh, searching. Uh, if there's of interest, there's a few papers and things like that that are uh, that could be of interest uh, that we could post or you could put up with the, with the with the podcast and stuff like that. But um, spend a lot of time talking to a lot of or reading a lot. And then finally, we have a, an advisory board of some of the best allergist researchers uh, in the country that are on our board as well. And you guys can can look on the website who they are and research them, et cetera. But um, but but yeah, those are some of the things that we did. We talked to people. We read a lot. Um, and if you want to get started at our site, it's not a terrible place to get started. Super. Yeah. I'll put the links to everything on the, in the show notes. Um, super. Um, could you share with us uh, an anecdote from your work at Nectar Life Sciences that made you realize the, the impact that you were having on patients' lives? So I assume you have many different anecdotes, but if there was one that comes to your mind. An anecdote that, that something that we're doing is, is, uh, yeah, is useful. I think I, I sort of touched on it, you know, sort of earlier, but I think not recognizing um, the impact on parents with children of food allergies is the thing that I have to say is really, um, like I kind of knew it and I knew it was a problem, 
But when you talk to some of the parents and, and you realize, you know, as an example, you can't, like I said earlier, you can't go to a restaurant without fear that something's going to happen. You know, in that case, yes, it's a fear, but you're there. The the fear that also has been brought to my attention is imagine if you have like a five-year-old and they have to go to school and you're not there, you know, and, and, and that anxiety, right, um, that the kid next to your child may have had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before they went to class and didn't wash their hands. Uh, and I think that that anxiety and that fear is something that I'm really recognizing. And again, like I said earlier, even the ability to say that you can tolerate a little bit more of the peanut protein or whatever, um, to me is a huge impact to, to, to the lives of, of both the parents and the children, the, the children really do, right? We tend to think other oh, kids, they don't know. They know, right? They know. And they're terrified too. That, that someone did that. It becomes a real thing. They remember when they had the first anaphylaxis, right? Because most of the time when you find out you have food allergy, it's because they had a reaction, right? And so to me, to me, the the impact and is really that to me is the single biggest uh, impact and bring, you know, we, we joke that we, you know, we're bringing peace of mind, right? Like that's really what we're selling uh, to, to parents and to, and to children. So to me, that's the bringing something that, that can really help that scenario was uh, that situation is really important to me. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, you know, in, in every episode, I really get a lot of you know inspiration from the stories from the guests uh, what they built, and I'm you know super fortunate to meet many of them on the podcast. And you know, without about without a doubt, sorry, you're you're not an exception to that. So, but also surely, like there are other you know trailblazers in the medical field um, whom you admire, um, contributing as well to the advancement of of healthcare. If you would recommend, you know, one of them as a potential guest for the show, um, who would that be, and why would you recommend her or him? Um, I think I would say in the field, um, and and could really because I think food allergies is such a huge, um, you know, concern. Um, there's a professor um, at the University of Carolina, North Carolina. He's the one that's spearheaded a lot of the food allergy sort of research and uh i think it, again it's a it's an area that's growing uh of interest his name is dr edwin kim and he's really fantastic and he has been the the trailblazer for these new food allergy treatments and demonstrating that it really works um he's been funded by the national institutes of health to do all this research and i think again just because this topic is such a hot topic and, and such a, a huge interest to people he would be someone i would definitely recommend super and anyone else beyond the realm of allergy Beyond the realm of allergy, God, I don't know. My brain's like been all uh, all allergies all the time now. <laughs> it seems like with uh, with the startup, I think the entrepreneurs listening will will understand. There's basically no life outside the uh, outside the, the the company that you're trying to uh, to to foster. So I, mean, I have to think about that. Maybe you can uh, maybe you can post that in your notes. But I'll, I'll definitely give that some thought because there's some really great uh, great work being done out there with, uh, for example, psychedelics. Uh, is one of our portfolio companies that that's doing some great stuff around around that and clinical trials around depression and clinical trials around addiction and things like that. So maybe that's that's an area that I would say if you haven't done a podcast on that, that's something that's really growing and yeah. revolutionizing a lot of care in that in that space. Yeah, I think I would be. I think I listed it in the you know some like the themes I'd like to cover in the future potentially this year. And I know that there is like a. Yeah, that's a growing, you know, interest. And I think there's also this whole thing about like microdosing and so on for like just optimizing your your health, even if you are like in a good condition. Um, so yeah, why not? That would be super interesting. I would encourage you to do that. I have a few CEOs that are actually, you know, in the category 
selling, doing clinical trials, and I, I could certainly recommend uh, one or two of them for you to interview. But it's a, it's a great topic, and I, you know, uh, just really fascinating the work and the, the results that they're getting. Super, perfect. No, thank you so much, um, Kenneth, for for everything um, and for your time, and you know, taking us through um, um, everything you've you've achieved and everything you've learned. Um, so to the listeners who are you know, still with us, thank you for joining and for your time listening to the conversation. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to share it with anyone from your surroundings who might be interested in the topic and might benefit from what we discussed. Um, I keep receiving a, a lot of feedback and guest suggestions for the show, and I'm very, very grateful for that. So it's really thanks to you guys and the amazing people I get to, to meet. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review on your preferred streaming platform. It really helps me a lot driving the podcast forward. We also have a dedicated LinkedIn page where you can follow the activities as well as the website that I invite you to, to check out. So it's www.impulsepodcast.com. Um, you will find there the podcast newsletter as well that was launched a few months ago um, to which you can subscribe. Uh, and you can stay this way posted on the, the latest episode of the show and the latest medical technology. So thanks again for your time and support. And yeah, see you in the next one. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. If you liked it, don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. I would be extremely grateful if you could leave a 5-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests. Thanks a lot and see you in the next one.